Well, hey, howdy, hey. Welcome to the Texans Take. All right. Well, we have a special guest today. We have uh, Pastor John Weaver. And Pastor, I guess I've known you for a long time. Yes, I think so. Yeah, um, he's been a, uh, a speaker at the Sam Davis Youth Camp for many, many years, and Brig and I have both gone to that, and so we've heard Pastor Weaver many times, and um, I had the absolute pleasure to um, go down to his place in, uh, in uh, Fitzgerald, Georgia a couple times, and uh, he taught me how to shoot, and uh, he shoots very, very well. Uh, actually, what was on that one. what was really special about that one time is that I went down there, Pastor. Do you remember this? I went down there with Nathaniel and uh, Austin, and yes. you had you had just uh, pastors there that you're teaching how to shoot, and so it was just the the three of us out there shooting with a bunch of pastors, and you were leading everything, and it was it was really cool because whenever we weren't messing up targets, you know, we were having theological discussions. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yes, sir, that was a wonderful time. So, a um, little bit about Pastor Weaver. He's a, um, I actually pulled this pastor from your sermon, your sermon audio bio. So, uh, I like to frequent your sermon audio. And uh, Pastor Weaver is a native of Georgia. He's a graduate from J- Bob Jones University. Uh, he earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in theology and attended graduate school and has been in the uh, Christian ministry for over 40 years. He's pastored and helped plant several churches and Christian schools around the country. Um, and uh, so anyway, we, we really enjoy uh, the works of Pastor Weaver. And uh, actually, uh, looking at Sermon Audio, you've got, Pastor, you've got a five-part series uh, on your title is the wrath of God from 2007. <laughs> and I was looking at that. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to listen to that. And I confess I haven't done it yet, but, uh, that's on my list. Good. Excellent. And by the way, to tell you how old that biography is, uh, it's now been 57 years. I've been preaching. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. 57 years. I call that the Heinz number. Yeah. Heinz 57. Um, hey, Elijah, forgive me. What did the, what did the sermon audio, how, how many years difference are we? Well, the sermon audio says over 40 years, so it's not wrong, but <laughs> it, it, it doesn't give you the full picture either. No. Oh, that's a fact. Yes, indeed. It, it, it doesn't bother me one way or the other. I'm just thankful the Lord has allowed me to live and continue in the ministry. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, we've been certainly enjoying your ministry. And uh, one thing that I really got to uh, enjoy was uh, visiting your cows. Uh, mom mom probably has the best story about your cows. Um, Pastor Weaver has uh, many. How many cows do you have, Pastor? Well, there's probably around 40 or so. Not that many, but enough. Enough, uh, enough. And, uh, yeah, we were down there shooting once and mom was there. And, uh, when we were not shooting, pastor Weaver, you know, took mom around to look at his farm a little bit and she sees all the cows and he goes, Oh, wow. That's a lot of cows. Um, what, what, what do you do with them? (laughs) And pastor Weaver is like, well, they're my cows. And she was like, "Oh, Oh, okay. Do you, do you eat them? And he walks over to one of them. I don't remember which cow it was. And uh, uh, he says, now, now, don't you worry. I won't let the mean old lady eat you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. So lots of lots of good pets over at Pastor Weaver's. Um, Around 40 of them. Yeah. Well, that's just cows. Yeah, it's true. That's true. That's right. He's got a couple of uh, dogs and uh, one one rather <coughs> rather uh, fat dog, um, and she's a real sweetie. And uh, I think she's got a condition of some kind, but uh, she's a joy because she'll just come down, plop right in front of you, and just rub her all over. She's a lot of fun. Yes, 
Uh, most of the dogs were rescues, and we just found some one and dumped them on the road, and we brought them home and took care of them, and they've just been part of the family. Oh, they're wonderful. Wonderful indeed. Rescues tend to make the best dogs. So, um, well, just introducing the topic of, uh, uh, the wrath of God, um, I guess, pastor, you've preached for, I'm going to go ahead and say decades on this (laughs) with a five part series. (laughs) So, uh, what, what, what would be some good intro material that you might, um, want to bring to the table and talk about? Well, there's so much on the subject. In fact, when you talk about God, you're just simply talking about theology. And uh, there's so many attributes of God, and that is how God reveals himself. And so clearly, uh, when you talk about the wrath of God, it is connected, of course, with God's justice and with God's vengeance, because his vengeance, his wrath are expressions of his justice. And, of course, uh uh, his wrath is the opposite in reality of his love and, uh, and, and his grace because clearly uh, those who are against him, he is against as well. In fact, he said in First Samuel, he said uh, he will honor those that honor him and those that despise him shall be lightly esteemed. Mm. And so clearly then uh, the despisement in fact works along with his wrath and his anger as well. So all of those things are basically tied together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I've noticed, uh, a lot of modern, modern day Christians, they, they love to talk about, well, the love aspect of God and how, how loving God is. And, you know, and they're not wrong. God is love. He is, I would say the definition of love. Uh, it says so in scripture. Um, but they do forget the fact that God is also a just God and a jealous God. Um, and that's very often, uh, overlooked. Well, unhappily, what most Christians have done, in fact, most people, they have developed a God of their imagination. Um, <laughs> uh, in fact, the truth of the matter is the only God that exists, the only God that is is the God that has revealed himself in the Bible. And to the degree that we are ignorant of that God, to the degree that we're ignorant of his attributes, his characteristics, to the degree that we're ignorant of him, to that degree we are idolaters. Yeah. Because we must have a biblical understanding and a biblical knowledge of God and not just something that we imagine or is fanciful in our minds. Well, let me put it to you like this. God is not some old man in a rocking chair up in heaven who just leniently winks at the indiscretions of youth. No, no. He is a holy, just, and righteous God. And the Bible does tell us that he takes uh, knowledge of our sins and he takes a vengeance upon those sins. Therefore, we need the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the Savior and the forgiver of our sins as well. Yes. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's very, very important to, uh, to remember. Um, and, uh, so Brig, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss before we take a break and, uh, get to the next section? No, no, no. I think we, we covered, covered that part till we get to the meat of it. Okay. Uh, well, let's take a quick break and, uh, we'll be right back and, Get on talking with it. Pastor, just stay on the line. Thank you. All right, we are back. We are back. Okay. Um, so uh our topic being the rack the wrath of God. Uh Pastor, we were hoping you could um I guess really get us moving with some good um, examples of the wrath of God from Scripture, um, and uh, and then we'll move into the attributes of God, love versus wrath included, maybe in the next section. Um, well, you know the Bible 
teaches us very clearly that there is a revealed wrath of God. In fact, he says that very pointedly in the book of Romans chapter 1. And uh, uh, in fact, he says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And uh, so uh, there are examples not only of God's wrath in the Bible, there's multitudinous examples of God's wrath in history as well. And many people do not connect the judgment of God and the wrath of God, but yet uh, they are indeed one. And so uh, it's astounding how many times that uh, God talks about uh, the wrath and uh, his judgment, and we just kind of overlook it. Uh, For instance, uh, in Amos chapter 4, beginning there, Uh, God says in verse 6, he said, And I've also uh, given you cleanness of teeth in your cities and want of bread in all your places, yet you've not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So this is God's judgment. And, of course, God's judgment comes in his wrath and in his anger because of our sins and our disobedience. And the interesting thing is about God's judgment and God's wrath is the fact that uh, it is actually designed uh, for you and I to understand the doctrine of repentance. That's Mm. what he says in the book of Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and we can cover that momentarily. But let me just go on because he also says in verse 7, and also I've withholding the rain from you, but there were yet three months to harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, caused it not to rain upon another city, one piece was rained upon, the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So now God is talking about famine, and now God's talking about flood and drought. And these, these are just aspects of his judgment and of his wrath. And then he also says in verse 9, I've smitten you with blasting and mildew. And then he said, he said, pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Then he said, some of you were withdrawn with as Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he talks about war. So all of these judgments are aspects of God's wrath, and these things come upon us because of our sins and our rebellion against him. Yeah. So uh, there's a wonderful passage. In fact, let me just go ahead and mention it. In Romans chapter 2, and uh, he, he says, Or despisest thou... The riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Then he said, But after the hardness and impenitence of thine heart, there are treasures up in thyself, wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now let me point something out. The interesting thing in verse 4, he says, Or despisest thou the riches of God's goodness. And the truth of the matter is the goodness of God is everywhere. Hmm. And we're not just talking about the food and the raiment or the rain or the sunshine, but the very fact that he gives us life and the very fact he allows us to live and he gives us health and gives us the ability to work and enjoy things. So men by nature despise all of those riches of his goodness. And instead of God striking them down, He forbears with them. That's where forbearance comes into play. In other words, he does not just smite someone down just because they sin or just because they rebel against him. He forbears them in their sin. And when that forbearance begins to run out, then comes in God's long suffering. Mm. That is, he suffers even longer with their sin and their rebellion. In fact, the... uh, the, the funny thing, when I say funny, not ha-ha funny, but the truth of the matter is, the word long-suffering actually means to be long-nostrilled. Really? And the, reason, and the reason being, you notice when a man gets angry, his nostrils begin to flare as flare. he breathes in yeah. very heavily. But the longer the nose, the more difficult it is to see the nostrils flaring. So God is long-nosed or long-nostrilled in that sense that he not only 
does not smite anyone immediately, he forbears with them. And when his forbearance reaches an end, then his long suffering comes into play. And people do not understand in God's long suffering how that his righteous anger and wrath is mounting against them, and thus they're treasuring up into themselves wrath against the day of wrath and the righteous judgment of God. Yeah. That is really interesting about the long suffering. I was actually about to ask. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Here in Romans 2, where it says, uh, uh, in 2 4, where it says the forbearance and the patience. I was going to ask if that's the same, uh, uh, the same, I guess, Greek word, uh, forbearance as long suffering, but I guess that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. <clears throat> I, when you, uh, let's see, I'm trying to look at it right now. Uh, macrothumia is the Greek word. Macrothumia. Uh, yeah. See, macro would be great or Big, large. Yeah. And thumia was actually, uh, relates to passion. And really? so, uh, the more passionate you are about something, uh, the heavier you breathe, the, the, when you're angry, when you're upset, uh. Uh, or, or anything like that, the nostrils are flaring. So it's macrothumia is the Greek word there for long suffering. Huh. And uh, let's see, the one for uh, anarche is the Greek word for forbearance, which means toleration or forbearance, etc. Okay. Macrothumia is the one for long suffering. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, go ahead, sir. Oh, I was just, um, I was just going to say a lot of people, uh, you know, myself included at times, uh, often wonder, you know, why God doesn't do something about this, that, or the other. Um, and I think a lot of it is presumption on, on our end. And, uh, we forget that God is long suffering and he does. Yeah forbear a lot and hold off on wrath even when we deserve it deserve it <laughs> and when others would like to see it happen yeah you know yeah yeah uh, so the, the truth of the matter is god actually has everything under control uh, we don't think so uh but uh, i mean man by nature doesn't think so but the truth of the matter he does and uh uh the the interesting thing is in Psalm 76 and verse 10, the Bible says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. So he says the wrath of man is going to praise him, and what will not praise him, he's going to restrain. So let me give you an illustration of this. First of all, let me say this, that there's going to be just enough sin just enough uh, rebellion, just enough wickedness to ultimately bring God honor and glory. Now, mm. you're going to ask, how in the world can sin bring God honor and glory? Well, the truth is, if there was no sin, we would know nothing about the holiness of God or the righteousness of God or even the justice of God. Moreover, if there was no sin, we would not know anything about God's forgiveness and God's pardon and God's grace in giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you get to Genesis uh, chapter 21, Abimelech took Sarah, the king took Sarah, Abram's wife, and uh, God says, no, this is not going to happen. And God told Abimelech, if you touch her, you're a dead man because she's a wife of a prophet. And uh, Abimelech said, in the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands, have I done this? Said she not unto me that uh, he is my brother, and he said she is my sister. And God responded, Yea, I know that thou hast done this in the integrity of thine heart. Therefore, I've withheld thee from sinning against me. So, in other words, the abuse and misuse of Sarah and the defilement of Sarah would not have brought God honor, so God restrained that because the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ had to be kept pure and preserved. 
So, you know, the wrath of man shall praise the Lord and the remainder of wrath shall be restrained. So we ask, we look around in the world and we see wickedness on every hand. And we ask, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God intervene? And the truth of the matter is, he is intervening because he is controlling and working everything out for his honor, his glory, and ultimately for our good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's... uh that's really reflected in where uh, Joseph is telling his brothers, you know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yes, uh, that's correct. In other words, God used, had, had the brothers not hated him, had they not sold him into Egypt, then he would not have been there to preserve their lives and their families and the lives of multitudinous other people as well. Yeah. So they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That is for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a concept that it's really important to understand, and I think that that really gives, um, well, you know, because uh, oftentimes Christians are just like, you know, God needs to do something; He's not doing something, and a lot of times they can lose faith, they can lose trust, and. Um, it's really, it can be a tool that God uses to show us what we're made of. Yeah. Yeah. Moreover, you see, a lot of the problem, uh, the, the problem that, well, in reality is on our part, not on God's part. God is more than willing to do something, that is for sure. Yeah. But you remember that passage in Luke chapter 18 where our Lord was teaching that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Mm -hmm. And he said, there was a certain judge in a city who feared not God nor regarded man. And see, here's the truth. Those who do not fear God will have no regard for man. But this unjust judge had a widow woman that kept coming to him saying, avenge me and my adversary. And he would not for a while. And then he said, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet I'm going to give this little widow woman what she wants lest by her continual coming she weary me. Hmm. And then our Lord makes an application himself. And he said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cried him day and night? I tell you, he'll avenge them speedily. So the problem is not God's willingness to give justice and to give vengeance and to deal with the wickedness. The problem is... We are so uh, at ease and we are so uh, laid back and tolerated and condone it. We're not cry crying to God for justice. We're not crying for God to intervene. We're not crying for God to make his arm known. No. So, so God is saying, here is our responsibility. He's more than willing to do so. But the truth of the matter is, he's still going to use our prayers and he's still going to use the sin to ultimately work out his perfect will and bring honor and glory to himself and for the good of his people. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a nice big chunk to bite off at once. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, brother. Will, I was just going to say... Um, so if you don't mind talking a little bit about, um, you know, it's, I know that you've mentioned it several times or, uh, uh talked about it in passing as it were. Um, but how God can let the evil happen, um, and let the sin happen. And, I think that's a concept that a lot of even Christians just don't understand and are not sure how to deal with that, even with, you know, a good and a loving God. Um, do, you, do you see what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, me try, let me try to answer that for you. Uh, first of all, God is not the author of sin. <laughs> God is not the instigator of sin. God is not the infuser of sin, but God is the controller of sin. 
Yes. In other words, the Bible says in James chapter 1, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted of evil, neither tempted thee any man. So if, if someone is enticed to sin, it is not God enticing them to sin. God is not making anyone sin. In fact, if, if, if we were made to sin, uh, then the sin would not be ours because uh, someone forced us to do it. Even God would have forced us to do it, and therefore mm -hmm. it would not be our sin or our responsibility. Yeah. Now, uh, God is not the author of sin. He's not the infuser of sin. He's not the instigator of sin whatsoever. So where does sin come from? The Bible said that every man is thrown away of his own lust and enticed. And then once we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed, then he said we're tempted, and of course, uh, you'll find this in the book of James. Uh, but he, he tells you there that, uh, uh, that that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In other words, the temptation brings forth sin, and sin then ends up in death. So uh, it's, it's very clear then that uh, man sins because he wants to sin. He's, a, he's totally depraved. Uh, we're sinful, we're wicked, we're rebellious, and everything about us is totally, completely depraved. So, uh, clearly then, uh, the sin originates with us. It does not originate with God. So, uh, we're, we're not, we cannot say that God has made us to sin any way whatsoever. So, uh, uh, See, but he said, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And so man then is the author of his own sin. He is the one who fulfills the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life instead of obeying God. So God does not author any of that or infuse it or instigate it, but he does control it. And he works it out for the good of his people and for his own glory. That's why in Romans 8, he said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And when he said all things, it's not just the good things, but it's the bad things as well that ultimately work out for our good. Yeah. So when man turns around and blames God for sin, uh, that's wicked. Of course, that's exactly what happened in the garden. Because God created Adam and Eve upright, and uh, they, Adam was created with original holiness, righteousness, and knowledge. And, of course, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took and she ate, and then, of course, she gave to Adam. So you have the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life right there. And that was the initial falling because man wanted to be his own God. Uh, he was tempted. He said, you shall be as gods, knowing good from evil, or determining good and evil for yourself. In other words, you don't need God to tell you what's right and wrong. You can be your own God. You can determine for yourself what is right and wrong. Hmm. And so clearly then, God's not the author of this sin. He's not the infuser of it. He's not the instigator of it. But he does control it. And he allows it. There's a difference between what you and I would call God's decretive will and God's permissive will. When you get to Deuteronomy 29, 29, the Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which he has revealed belong to us and our children that we may do them forever. So we're responsible to follow God's revealed will, which is his word. We don't, we're not responsible to do research and try to find out his secret he will. That's his business. That's not our business. Our business is just to obey and do that which is right according to his word. Amen to that. That was, uh, that was, uh, that was really good. And uh, hopefully that'll answer a lot of the questions of some of our listeners for sure. Um, one thing that always has to be talked about whenever talking about God's wrath is what is God's ultimate wrath, uh, which, you know, hell, but 
what what exactly will hell be or is hell as it were well you know the bible says death and hell were cast to the lake of fire of course the word hell in the old testament is from the hebrew word sheol which is often interpreted as grave and of course there's the word hades as well which of course is often interpreted as the grave as well and usually it is also referred to that uh that trash pile that was always burning outside of the city of jerusalem the big garbage stuff etc uh, but when you get to the book of Revelation, uh, death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. And, of course, our Lord in Matthew chapter 25, in talking about the division between the sheep and the goats, he says the sheep shall go into, way, uh, go into everlasting life. But he says the goats, they're going to go into the eternal lake of fire, and they will be punished forever and ever and ever. So... So uh, the ultimate wrath of God is simply uh, is, is the lake of fire, I would assume. And when I say assume, that's what the scripture says. But you have to remember this. The Bible also talks about eternal darkness. Um, so how can there be fire and be dark at the same time? Uh, and then there, there's eternal lostness. In other words, I, I, I think one of the main uh uh, punishments of God's wrath is that we're cut off, or, or those who are suffering eternal punishment, are cut off from any and everything that is from God. In other words, light is from God, uh, uh, mercy, grace, love, uh, all this is from God, and, and now people are totally separated from God for eternity. They know nothing of his love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. They know nothing of, of, of an abundance of, of provisions in other words they're now cut off totally from him that's why abram said to the uh man who was suffering in hell in luke chapter 16 there's a great gulf betwixt us those here can't go there and those there cannot come here hmm. so uh it is to be it is to be cut off from everything uh, about god and his grace and his mercy as well as that punishment and i suppose just simply knowing that there is no end uh, to, to, to that separation and that punishment would be hell in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So hell is really just a perfect apartness from God. I didn't understand that. Say that again. Oh, I said, so hell is really just a, a perfect apartness from God. Well, yes. And, and of course, it would be the consummation of everything that is evil and wicked. It would be the consummation of everything that, uh, uh, that man has without God and man is without God. And by the way, Satan is not ruling in hell. He will be punished himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's another that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize. They're like, ah, well, you'll be down there in hell with Satan. It's like, oh, Satan won't be enjoying it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Well, people are absolutely insane when they try to mock God. And I've seen these little bumper stickers. Uh, 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 heaven doesn't want me in hell. won't take me because they're afraid I'll take over. No, no, no. It, I can assure you that's nothing but pride and arrogancy of man, and uh, all that will be swallowed up the very first second of death. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that uh, you know, whenever the whenever death comes, some there's some incredibly strong, strong-minded, brilliant, smart, wise, whatever people uh, who don't want to love God. They don't want anything to do with God. They quote, don't believe in God and whatever. And they turn into, you know, um, you know, essentially crybabies seconds before death, because it, it's, you know, to them, it's the great unknown and it's the most, it's the worst thing possible and the worst thing imaginable. Yeah. Well, a good illustration of that is the death of Voltaire, which I read about, Voltaire was the noted French infidel. Yes, yes, and indeed. He, he uh, was on his deathbed. He invited all of his fellow atheists around to to uh, 
see how atheist really died. <laughs> and uh, he was lying on his bed, and uh, all of a sudden he sat up with a uh, absolutely fearful expression on upon his face, and he cried and screamed, "There is a God!" And then he fell back dead. Oh, so uh, yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, learn that one the hard way. Everyone <laughs> wants to be a crybaby when you've lived a life hating him, despising him, disobeying him, and rebelling against him, and now all of a sudden you meet him as your judge. As your judge, my Ouch. goodness. Um, in uh, uh, how much time do we have on this segment, Brig? I probably need to take a break right here. Yeah, we'll take a, a quick break and we'll come right back. Pastor, just stay on the line. All right, we are back. All right. Yes, indeed, we're back. So, uh, Pastor, go ahead with uh, what you had. Yeah, I wanted to just add one other comment on uh, on dying and uh I read this a number of years ago and I never forgot it. I thought it was kind of uh, uh, funny in one sense of the word. But, you know, it was Nietzsche who came out with uh, the God is dead argument. Yeah. Uh, I think his name was Frederick Wilhelm Nietzsche. But anyhow, uh, he, he, he was going around teaching that God is dead. And when Nietzsche died, I read someone had slipped out and uh, slipped around and written on his grave on his tomb. Nietzsche is dead, sign God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I, I can assure you God got the last laugh, not, not Nietzsche, that's for sure. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, I was going to read to you, uh, or at least uh, talk about, uh, uh, we're, since we're talking about the wrath of God. Yes. Uh, there's a, a passage in Second Peter chapter two uh, that gives you some excellent examples of the wrath of God. Uh, so, in in Second Peter chapter two, uh, beginning there with verse four, he says this: uh, "For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell." And delivered them into chains of darkness and to be reserved unto judgment. So now here are the fallen angels that rebelled against God. God cast them down to hell mm. and delivered them into chains of darkness. <clears throat> reserved unto judgment. That's the wrath of God. And then in verse 5, he said, It spared not the old world. But save Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so here you have uh, the, the Noahic flood, which would be a, a good illustration of God's wrath. Yeah. And then he said in verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto all those who should live ungodly. So you, you have uh, the angels that sinned as an example of God's wrath. You have... The Noahic flood is a symbol of God's wrath. And now you've got Sodom and Gomorrah as a symbol of God's wrath as well. And so you have then uh, so many illustrations uh, that, that are given us in the Bible. Now, there's another passage that is really, really on point, And that is found in Deuteronomy 32 and uh, verse 34 and 35, where God asks this. He said, is not this laid up in store with me and sealed among my treasures? So what in the world is laid up in store with God? What is sealed up among his treasures? Here's the, here's the verse. Verse 35. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Now listen to this. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things that shall come upon them make haste. So God says that vengeance belongs to him. And of course, he says that again in Romans chapter 12. He says in Hebrews 10 and many places in the Bible. But vengeance belongs to God and recompense 
And he says, their foot will slide in due time. In other words, it's just a matter of time, and God's going to bring all the wicked down. His judgment is going to stand firm. Their foot shall slide the day of their calamity's hand. And he said, the things that come upon them shall make haste. And that's exactly what is going to happen. So men tend to think that... Uh, God is not going to judge them, but that is not true. God will judge them. And when you look at Psalm 10, uh, Psalm 10 gives all kinds of uh, excuses that man makes up. Man thinks that somehow he's going to get away with all of this. For instance, in Psalm 10 and verse 6, uh, the wicked say, uh, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved for I shall never be in adversity. So here's the first excuse they give. They think, well, God's going to get everybody else, but he's not going to get me. I'm never going to be in trouble like other men. I'm never going to have this happen to me. But their foot is going to slide in due time. And, of course, when you get to Psalm 10 and verse 11, the wicked said in his heart that God hath forgotten. He hides his face. He'll never see it. So they're denying God's omniscience, that God's all-knowing. They think that somehow their sins will never be found out. In fact, there's a verse in Scripture talks about people sinning in darkness. Mm. And when you stop and think about it, most of your crimes uh, are, are committed in darkness because people do not want to be seen, and they think they can escape because they're in darkness. But therefore... Uh, that is not true, but that's an excuse that men often use. And then finally in verse 13, they say this, Where doth the wicked contemn God? For he says in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. In other words, they vainly think somehow that they're going to escape the judgment of God. God's going God's to get everybody but them. <laughs> God's going to let them go. Yeah. And that is absolutely insane. That is totally completely wicked I, I never will forget when i was in the university back in the 60s uh in greenville south carolina i forget exactly how many bank robberies there were but uh not one bank robber ever got out of the city limits during that time they were <laughs> caught before they ever got out of the city limits every wow. one of them and, and you have to ask, since all of these people were caught, why were the robbers continually trying to rob the banks? And, and the answer is this, because every crook, every thief, every robber, every sinner thinks that all the others are stupid. He's the one that's smart, and he's going to be the exception, and he's going to get away with everything. Yeah. And that's exactly the way sinners think. They think that somehow... God's not going to require them of their sins and their rebellion. But they're the double totally, standard. absolutely wrong because the scripture says that every one of us will give an account unto him. And so we will make sure, or he will make sure, that we do answer for every sin. Yeah. Because God is righteous in his judgment. And he's going to judge according to our works, the Bible says. So those that have done evil shall be judged according to their works. Yes, indeed. Well, I guess um, kind of switching over from uh, the wrath of God to the forgiveness of God. Um, so how does all of this uh, work into the life of a Christian? How does God deal with wrath with a Christian? Well, you know, uh, the Bible, in fact, John the Baptist came preaching, if you remember, and he told people to flee from the wrath to come. In other words, he was teaching and preaching the fact of, of judgment. And he said God is going to bring his wrath. And, of course, he did when he destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., Mm -hmm. And so he was telling them to flee from the wrath to come. So uh, it, it's, it's not only a biblical command, 
but it's also common sense as well because if I see a hurricane coming, I think I want to be in a safe place. Yeah. If I see a tornado coming, I want to be in a safe place. If I see uh, a raging fire coming, I still want to be in a safe place. That is for sure. Uh, but now the Bible tells you this. Listen carefully. Uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now listen to that. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Mm. So here's a command of God. God commands us to repent. Here is why. Verse 31 of Acts 17 because he, that is God the Father, hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, as Jesus Christ, listen carefully, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So, here's what God is saying. I'm commanding every man to repent, that is to turn from their sins, why? Because I've appointed a day in which I'm going to judge this world in righteousness, and I'm going to judge this world in righteousness by my Son, Jesus Christ, and I have given assurance unto all men that he will judge this world, and that assurance is based upon his resurrection from the dead. So here's what God is saying. Just as surely as he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, just that surely there's going to be a judgment. And just that surely men are going to answer for their sins. And so the wise thing to do is to seek God for his repentance and to seek God for faith. Mm. Now, repentance in the Bible is a gift of God, just like faith. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 that our Lord was raised from the dead, that he might give repentance. And then mm. when you get to Acts 11... In verse 18, the Bible says, Then hath God granted or given the repentance. And then when you get to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible there is talking about men who are, uh, are getting themselves out of the snare of the devil. The Bible says this, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, why? In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Now, when the men recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, when they acknowledge the truth, when the men acknowledge the truth, when God gives them repentance. So, let me just make this very clear. It doesn't matter if you are saved or if you are unsaved. Repentance is the gift of God. One of the tricks of the of Satan, one of the tricks of the flesh in the world is by promising an easy and speedy repentance when you sin. But repentance is not Satan's to give. Repentance is not the world's to give. Repentance is not the flesh to give. Repentance is the gift of God. And you're not going to repent unless he gives you repentance. Just like you're not going to believe unless he gives you faith. So it's your responsibility to seek God for repentance and faith. So if you are a Christian and you have sinned, you still must seek God for repentance. If you're unsaved, and you are a sinner, you still must seek God for repentance because repentance is his gift, just like faith. Mm. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So clearly, then, uh, there is forgiveness with God, but there is not going to be any forgiveness without repentance. God demands that we repent, and he gives repentance. That is why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Bible talks about these Thessalonians, how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So repentance is the negative, you're turning from sin. Faith is the positive, you're turning to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So 
wherever you are saved or unsaved god demands repentance and faith in fact he said in first john 3 and verse 23 and this is his commandment that we believe on his son the lord jesus christ so <clears throat> so christian or non-christian it doesn't matter where you fall god demands repentance and uh when we do repent I guess through faith, that comes from Christ also. Sure, sure. That's okay. correct. Okay. That's correct. And, and he's, he's the one. In other words, there's a difference between responsibility and ability. Mm. See, it's our responsibility to repent, it's our responsibility to believe, but only God can give us the ability to do either one. And so uh. we are required, therefore, to seek him for his repentance and for his faith and he must give it because if he does not give it we will not turn from our sin that's why in, in psalm 81 it is he said quicken us O lord and we shall call upon thy name turn us O lord and we shall be turned so if god doesn't turn us if god doesn't quicken us we're not going to turn and we're not going to believe okay so once again there's a difference between responsibility and ability yeah. Don't get those two things confused. Gotcha. <laughs> um, let's see. Brig, did you have any other questions? Uh, no, no. I think I thought I had a couple. Let's see. Um, Oh, uh, I guess, uh, Pastor, would you talk a little bit about um, how God uses wrath uh, towards believers? Well, I, I think there's a difference between his wrath and his anger toward believers. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let me say something about that, okay? Will do. Uh, uh, it is true. The Bible says that God is angry with the righteous, uh, with with the uh, with 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 the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm seven, verse eleven. And uh, but He's also angry with His people's sins as well. But with the unsaved, it is wrath, or you know, that is given upon them. With the saved, it is chastisement. Mm. So. It's just like, uh, you know, you whip your own child, you discipline your own child. If he does wrong, you don't disown him, you don't kick him out, you don't uh, shoot him, you know, you discipline him. And that discipline, that chastisement is for his good. So when you get to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 it is, uh, he talks about the difference here in uh, between... Uh, this wrath and this chastisement. So he says in verse five, and you've forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children. Now listen carefully. My son despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint without rebuke of him. So God chastens and God rebukes us when we have done wrong. And then he says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That means none of us get by without a whipping. Yeah. Because each of us are sinners. And then he goes on to say, if you endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom you whom the father chasteneth not? Now listen, here's the difference. But if you be without chastisement, where if all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Now what's a bastard? A bastard, according to the Bible, is an illegitimate child. It's someone who does not have a father, someone who does not love him, someone who's not concerned about him, someone who does not discipline him, someone who does not teach him. So God says if we are being chastened, it's a blessing because it shows that we are his children. And then he gives another illustration. He says, furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh who corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall not we much rather be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? 
for they, that is the earthly fathers, really for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. In other, in other words, uh, our fathers, our earthly fathers, chasten us, sometimes just because we upset them, sometimes just because they got angry with us. They didn't just chasten us because we had done wrong. But every time God chastens us, it's because we have done wrong, and therefore it is for our profit. And then he ends with this, Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. In other words, God's chastening always works. So to the unsaved, it is his wrath. It is his judgment to the same. It is his rebuke and it is his chastening. Fantastic. His chastening is always for our good. Pastor, I'd say that's a great place to stop. Uh, We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. Yes, indeed. All righty. Well, uh, uh, Pastor Weaver, if you were to, I guess, summarize uh, everything you'd say in in a way that, uh, uh, I guess, one of our listeners could take it and use it practically, which I guess all scripture is practical. But how would you how would you end it? Yeah, uh, I'd be glad to. Of course, you have to understand. Uh, that God's anger, God's wrath, God's judgment is tied up with his holiness and his righteousness. In other words, God is so absolutely holy, anything that's contrary to him, anything that's contrary to his word, is not only repulsive to him, it also angers him, righteously so, and therefore he has to punish sin, he has to punish wickedness, because it is... (laughs) It's absolutely, well, let me put it like this. If sin could, sin would dethrone God and enthrone itself. Oh, that's good. It's it's everything that is opposite of God. And so the judgments of God are seen in this world through drought and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and, and, and droughts and famines. In other words, Amos 4 makes that exceedingly clear. And even in weather, according to the book of Job, uh, weather is is under his control as well. Uh, but the Bible tells us in the book of Amos, uh, chapter 5 and verse 15 particularly, he tells us to hate the evil and, and love the good. Hate the evil, love the good. And uh, in Psalm 97 and verse 10, he says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. In other words, just like it is impossible for God to condone evil, uh, we who profess to be his people, uh, we are to love him and hate everything that's absolutely contrary to him. So uh, David said it like this in Psalm 139. He said, do not I hate them, O Lord, that they thee? Yeah, I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. And then when he got through saying that, then he said, search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So obviously, uh, uh, you know, God is infinitely holy. Now, there is another book, uh, there is another verse that I want to give you. Uh, it's found in the book of Habakkuk, and chapter 1, uh And uh, he says in verse 13, Thou art of pure eyes and behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Now, what does that mean? Thou art of pure eyes and behold evil, and cannot look upon iniquity. Certainly God sees evil, and he sees iniquity, because he judges it. He condemns it. And what it does mean is this, thou are pure eyes and to behold evil condoningly or look upon iniquity approvingly. In other words, there's no way that God can look upon anything that's contrary to himself and approve it. So when people think that somehow they can 
get God's approval on their sin and on their wickedness, uh, it, it just, it will not fly. And uh, so God says, no, I'm infinitely holy. Let me give you an illustration. I have known of men, I have known of men who divorced their wives and ran off with another woman. And, and the reason they gave was this woman they went off with and ran off with was more spiritual than their wife. <laughs> oh. now, we, we laugh at that, but that is absolutely insane. That is. That is insane. You're trying to justify your sin and trying to justify your wickedness. Yeah. So, wow. I'm just saying, people do this, and uh, God is not going to condone evil, and God is not going to condone wickedness. Yeah. And so That's like uh, getting your hand caught with a cookie jar. holiness his righteousness and his justice demands absolutely his wrath, his anger, and his judgment. Amen to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That is that is wild. I've never I've never heard that one before. Well, you know, there's all kind of crazy things. For instance, I remember when I was in the university, there was a uh, woman who came to the couch where her husband was asleep and she put a pistol to his temple and pressed the trigger and uh, murdered her husband. And her defense was God told her to do it. My and goodness. Of course, that's insane because the Bible says thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. But her defense was God told her to do it. And so... Uh, there's been so many people, some of these women who've drowned their children said God told them that God never told them to violate his law, to violate his word. Yeah. Never, never, never. So, I mean, uh, people are deceived when they think that. Uh, they may, uh, someone says, well, the Spirit led me. Oh, well, it may have been I don't spirit. doubt the Spirit led you, but it was not the Holy Spirit of God. Let That's for like sure. That. Because he never, ever leads anyone to violate his word and to go contrary to his word. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, uh, you know, uh, talking about the spirit leading uh, this person and that person. Um, it's a little bit different, but there's a, there's a lady I know who said that there was a guy in high school that came up to her and said, Hey, Mary Jane, God told me that you're supposed to be my wife. Um, we should probably go get married. And she said, did he really? Now, that is very, very interesting. But until God tells me the same thing, uh, no. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. Uh. And, and then you've you got uh, to understand this. How would God be speaking to them? How would God be telling them that? You see, once you start getting away from the Word of God as the full and final revelation of God, then you're open to anything and everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Some so. doors are better left unopened. Well, Pastor, I think we've uh, uh, run out of time for today, but uh, we wanted to thank you so much for uh, joining us with our podcast this evening. And uh, I will certainly be uh, uh, going down with uh, my wife to come visit you and uh, take a couple of shots at your range. Um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, one of these days I can drag Brig down there with me. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be hard to drag me down there. <laughs> I, I, I I might even I might even jump in the car on my own. <laughs> yeah. We'll certainly look forward to seeing you and having you here. It'll that would enjoy. That would be fantastic. Well, Pastor, thank you so much. Uh, would you would you uh, be willing to close us in prayer? I'll be delighted to. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we do confess and acknowledge that thou and thou alone art God. And Lord, you are the only one true of the living God. And thou hast revealed thyself in thy word and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would help us to love thee, to live for thee, and to honor thee, and to glorify thee. And you would help us, Lord, to be faithful unto thee and obedient in every area of our lives. Give us grace that we may serve thee acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Save thy people, O Lord. Grant us a revival and an awakening. May your blessed will be accomplished in each life. 
In thy holy name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you and thank you for the opportunity to be on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. God bless you too. Okay. All right. Bye-bye now. All righty, y'all. Well, uh, uh, we hope you uh, really enjoyed that. And uh, uh, I love hearing Pastor Weaver because he's very, he's very clear when he talks and he has a, he's got an incredible knowledge of scripture. Um, I've, I've talked before about, uh, you know, how often he's read the scriptures. Um, and so anyway, um, well, I guess that's all that I have for today. Is there anything else you have, Brig? I do not. Well, if that's the case, then, uh, I guess we'll see y'all, uh, next week. Adios. Adios.